Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, the Dallas Safari Club, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, the calling us call made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Now, here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Thank you, David Fox, for that introduction. Before we get into today's campfire, we have a special anniversary, if you will, or a special event coming up here toward the very beginning of July. We are going to be doing our 100th episode of what started out as DSC's Untamed Heritage, which has now become DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. To commemorate this, I'm going to give away one of my custom knives. These are very limited edition. They have my name inscribed upon the blade. The scales of this particular knife that we're giving away is made from the horn of a buffalo that I shot in Australia. Now, all you have to do to enter the drawing is to go to my Instagram page. That is at Larry Wysoon Outdoors, and there leave a comment as to anything having to do with DSC's campfires, and uh, we'll get you entered, and then we'll draw a name on the 5th of July. The 5th of July, then we'll be in touch with you right after that. So, wish you the very best, and thank you for joining us all these many episodes, and then about time now that we got into the one that we got set up for you today. Welcome to the 100th episode of DSC's Campfires with Larry Weisson. And David, thank you for that kind introduction. DSC Campfires. Actually, we started out as 
Untamed Heritage, DSC's Untamed Heritage, and had some absolutely fantastic times under that title, and over a period of time decided to change it to really kind of what we do, and that's often to sit around campfires, either real campfires or maybe a pretend or virtual campfire when you get right down to it. Wanted to rename it to that because there's something to be said about sitting down in front of a fire. It seems like whether there's a fireplace in a home or a camp or a campfire out in the backyard or campfire in a hunting camp, kind of loosens a tongue. It kind of makes people reflect on a lot of things of the past and kind of what, how the day's events went and telling stories about old friends and things that you've done and things that you want to do in the future. And I think that was one of the reasons that we really decided to call this Campfires. Truly proud of that title. I've been doing a Campfire Talk radio show with Luke Clayton for about 13 years now. And We've had more than uh, more than a few hundred episodes when you look right at it from that perspective. But I'm so very proud of, of the fact that we now have our 100th episode of DSC's Campfires. And thought we'd take the time a little bit to uh, kind of go out to my little place, sit underneath a big old oak tree that kind of grew up around. The, the property I have is, has been in the family for over, nearly 150, over 150 years now, I guess. And so a lot of things have happened. It's where I started hunting, roamed the woods as a freckled-faced, red-headed, barefooted kid, and kind of where I am today. I remember coming down where I'm sitting at the moment and sitting here and just dreaming about some of the things that I really wanted to do back then. I looked at every outdoor life field, the stream, sports field, and Red O'Connor and Russell Annabelle, and I mean, the list just goes on and on. Elmer Keith and a whole lot more, and they tell about the adventures they'd had in the Southwest and in the far North and in the foreign lands as well, too. And always dreaming about the fact that one of these days, <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to get to go do some of those kind of things. And never really thought that that might happen, but I've been very fortunate and blessed over the last many years to have traveled the world. I've, I've hunted some absolutely fantastic places, spent time with some of the best people in the world who became very, very dear friends. And some of those friends I get to see frequently, and some I see infrequently, and some I haven't seen in years, but I don't feel any less about them now than even the fact that we haven't shared a campfire now maybe in 20, 30 years when you get right down to it. had a lot of influences in my life going back to where my grandfather, Grandpa A.J. Oshenbeck, he was a county commissioner. We lived out in the country on the property I'm on right now, and he would come by every morning, it seemed like, and we'd go dig for worms, take an old grubbing hoe and go dig earthworms. And for the most part, almost every time we did that, we went fishing. Never caught anything big, but my gosh, we caught lots of little sunfish, occasional little bass, little catfish. But I longed for those days so much when if there was a time when maybe he couldn't, and Unfortunately, he passed away when I was nine years old, and to this day, you know, I really do miss those times that I got to spend with him, and whether we were fishing or telling stories or anything having to do with anything with the outdoors. My mom and dad both hunted. My dad hunted hounds and loved coon hunting, always loved hounds, always loved horses, and 
Grandpa Wysoon loved horses. wasn't much on hunting, but he he expected us to to hunt his properties if we wanted to, kind of thing. And he was, we were fortunate; he had several relatively small places scattered around that uh, really were uh, didn't really have any deer back then to speak of. But he had a lot of squirrels and rabbits, and we we hunted deer nonetheless. But uh, you know, those things were the early years of grabbing a, a BB gun. I think I got my first BB gun, air rifle, if you will, when I was like three years old, four years old. Got my first twenty-two rifle that I used from a granddad, Grandpa Osterbeck, about the time that I was five. And by the time of that age, I was already rowing the woods. And by the time I got to be six, seven, and eight, there was no time that I didn't spend in the woods when we didn't have chores and we were in the chicken business and cattle business and the hog business and so there were always chores way before daylight and get ready just in time for school and go to school come home and work and try to get everything done and hopefully have a few minutes before you could go out in the woods go hunting or fishing when I started school I frankly thought I'd died and gone to hell I mean up until that time I had free reign of, of quite a few acres and creeks and things of that nature and all of a sudden I was stuck in a classroom and never really liked school to be very frank with you and it wasn't probably until my senior year at Texas A&M that kind of realized that hey, school actually was important and, but I did know this much that by going to Texas A&M I wanted to become a wildlife biologist and had worked with veterinarians wanted to learn things about animals as much as I could and of course grew up around animals and hunting animals and all those kind of things and uh was very fortunate way back when while I was a senior at Texas A&M to uh, go to work for the Wildlife Disease Project with Dr. Mick Robinson, uh, who headed up the uh, Wildlife Disease Project, as I mentioned. And it was a contract between the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and the Texas A&M's Department of Veterinary Pathology. And very frankly, in uh, working with Dr. Robinson and the biologist named Rod Marburger, who was uh, the state's counterpart of, of Dr. Robinson in, in Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, Learned more from them about wildlife and, and I suspect almost about life when it comes to having anything to do with wildlife in about six weeks and I actually learned during the time when I was attending classes at Texas A&M. But I knew if I were going to be able to do what I wanted to do in the future, I would have to have a degree. And, and I have to say, God bless my wife, because I, as I mentioned, I wasn't big on school, kind of hated school, quite frankly. And every day it seemed like we got married when we were after our freshman year. And it seemed like every day I'd come home to college housing when we were in, in, at A&M. And, and I'd say, okay, that's it. Pack your stuff. We're out of here. <laughs> I've had all of this I can stand. I don't want to do this anymore. But she'd go, well, you know, every cent we've got is invested in books and this month's rent. And, you know, you know where you want to go. And I, she taught me how to quit in college, thankfully. And so I Ended up being a wildlife biologist with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department for a while. I came along at a time when all this interest in white-tailed deer was first getting started. Did a lot of the white-tailed deer research to start with. Got to be friends with guys like Al Brothers and Murphy Ray and a bunch of other people that were very much involved in, in the front of the uh, what came to be the uh, kind of the white-tail world, I guess you could say. Uh, Got to be friends with John Wooders, who was a prominent writer at the time and a Texan, and Jerry Smith. Jerry Smith was a photographer down in Alice, Texas, and he started photographing material white-tailed deer, something nobody had ever seen in magazines. 
with all due respect to uh, Lenny Lee LaRue, Lenny Lee Rue, the, the third, fourth, or fifth, whichever that one was, that, uh, you know, they photographed a lot of whitetail, and those whitetail appeared in a lot of the publications, but they were always yearling and two-year-old deer because they did not have access to those deer that were older than that grew big antlers. So when Jerry started photographing those, John Wooders started uh, writing about hunting material deer, and it really kind of opened the world as far as whitetail deer hunting is concerned. And along the way, M- Murphy Ray and Al Brothers wrote the book, Producing Quality Whitetail, and it didn't take long after that, the Dixie Deer Classic started, and then organizations like Texas Trophy Hunter Association, and later on the Quality Deer Management Association, guys like David Morris and Stephen Vaughn and Chuck Larson started the North American Whitetail and guys like Dick Idle. And, you know, I got to know and spend time around all these people, and particularly in some of the times when we were, I was doing a lot of writing at the time, but I was also working as a wildlife biologist. And two, I was very fortunate to be one of the speakers with the NRA's Great American Hunters Terry, where we traveled across the country doing seminars, and mine were pretty much about the basics of whitetail deer in terms of hunting, in terms of habitat, in terms of habits. And so I got to meet some really fantastic people and and got to hunt some really great country. During these last 100 episodes, we've talked a lot about those kind of things. I've had guys on like Gary Robertson. Gary is a very dear friend who owns Burnham Brothers Game Calls. And He's come up with a call that absolutely duplicates the sounds that uh, distressed rabbits, rats, mice, all those things actually make to where he can record it and where he can then to also broadcast it. He's got the patent on that, and I've had the chance to hunt with Gary several times in properties where they said, well, you can't call coyotes here anymore. They're so used to these electronic calls, they won't respond. And you'd go out and i mean just sack them up but for the first time now those animals have really hearing the same thing that the real animals make and so that's made a difference we've had gary on several times and you know looking into the future i really intend to have gary on a little bit more he like me loves to hunt yeah well he loves to hunt coyotes a whole lot more than i do and i like to hunt them a lot same thing with bobcats and also loves to hunt deer and, and uh, other big game species, particularly with his hounds, like for mountain lion and, and black bear. And, and uh, you know, that's going back to, I mentioned earlier, my dad ran hounds. He ran coon hounds primarily, and then he got into fox hunting. And during the years when I was at A&M and right out of school and uh, working as a biologist, we were taking his coon hounds because I really wanted to hunt black bear. We were taking his coon hounds, and you could buy bear scent. And we would essentially just douse those poor coons that we caught in, in bear scent and turn them loose. And over a relatively short period of time, we developed a pretty good set of hounds. My dad and my cousin Crockett Lindecker, his cousin, first cousin Crockett Lindecker, and hunted with Crockett in New Mexico. And there shot my first black bear, which was uh, just a, I mean, one of those cornerstones of, of, of life. I'd read so much about David Crockett and a lot of the other guys that hunted black bear people that hunted black bear in the area where I live now where we now do not have black bear just simply because there's too many humans around but uh shot that first black bear and that opened up the door to a lot of different things as well too and point where I dearly love hunting bear and I've called them in I've spotted and stalked and all those others and we've talked a little bit about that as well too and love bear particularly the grizzlies and the brown bear and I've had a chance to hunt those in the past and we'll revisit some of those hunts a little bit in the future because 
moving forward, I, I don't want to ever forget where I came from. I don't want to ever forget in terms of, of stories that I recall of things that I've learned. And, you know, years ago, uh, I talked with Gary Rawson about this. He said, you know, who did you spend time around when you were a youngster? And I said, for the most part, I spent time around older guys who told stories, who, t- who had had experiences of the past. And I learned so much from them. Sometimes I learned what to do. Sometimes I learned what not to do because of the experiences I had. And he said, you know, I was kind of the same way. He said, I, I love spending time with friends that were my age when we'd go out hunting. He said, but, you know, those guys, like me, really didn't know a whole lot. So it was much more important for me to spend time around uh, people that really kind of knew what they were talking about. And, and I think that's the case with me, or I know that's the case with me as well, too. You know, I appreciate all the technology that we have when it comes to, like, TVs and phones and all this. But I'll tell you something. Something to be said about sitting on the back porch with a bunch of guys that are 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years older than you are and listening to their stories and and learning particularly about hunting, about wildlife, around livestock or at the habitat. And in doing so, a lot of times you, you learn a little bit about yourself and learn a little bit about life as well, too don't ever want to get away from that storytelling is so very important and again that's one of the reasons we decided to call the podcast dsc's campfires and it's really not about me it's not about larry weisson it, it's about the, the many people that i've met and what i've learned from some of those people kind of what we were talking about earlier we're sitting around and listening to the old guys and you know, it always amazes me in that respect is I can remember for the longest time always being the youngest guy in the hunting camp. And then it looked like all of a sudden somebody flipped a switch and I was from being the youngest guy there to generally the oldest guy in camp. Got dear old friends like Jim Zumbo that I've had on the podcast and will again in the future. And I used to kid Jim all the time. I said, thank God you and I are friends. We hunt together because all of a sudden now you're not, I'm not, no, well, I'm no longer the oldest guy in hunting camp. Jim Zumbo is <laughs> but again there's so much to be learned from guys like him and, and uh, Rick Lambert who between the Zumbo and Lambert and I we kind of call ourselves the three amigos and up until the time that COVID hit where we couldn't get out and about there wasn't hardly two month period of time that we didn't go hunting somewhere do something together and with all this stuff kind of fading into the background, hopefully now, I'm really hoping and praying that we'll be able to do some of that same thing. I really enjoy their company, and I learned so much from those guys. It's amazing. Old friends like Jay Wayne Fears, who I've not had on the podcast, but Jay Wayne and I did so many things together. He was a, still is a very prolific writer and, and one of the most fantastic storytellers I've ever been around. And and uh, he lives in Alabama, and I live in Texas, and unfortunately have not had a time to, to really get over and spend some time with him. But that's one of the things I really hope to do in the future is I need to make a trip to the southeast and, and spend a little time around the campfire with with uh, with Fears and, and with, uh, oh, two or three other guys over there, too, like Bill Miller, who for years was the editor of North American Hunter and, and the North American Hunter TV show. and. Over the years, he and I developed the uh, You Call the Shot thing, which has, was, for the longest time, one of the most popular things on outdoor television and within the magazines as well, too. And I understand old buddy Jim Shockey now with a new show called Shock Therapy or something like that. 
I was visiting with Jim not too long ago at, at one of the DSC conventions, probably about two years ago, and I was telling, we were telling stories about how we came about coming up with the You Call the Shot, and, you know, he, he said, yeah, he said, I remember, he said, you and, and Miller kind of got together at the first North American Hunting Club Jamboree, and talked about what we could do to entertain the crowd and thankfully you called me and and uh between the three of us we showed different hunting scenarios stop it and discuss kind of what everybody would do and then we'd take turns telling what we thought needed to be done and whether you take the shot or not and he said you know what he said with this new tv show i'm doing he said i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and do some of those things and so i haven't had a chance to see the show i don't get a chance to watch tv very much but i suspect shocky is indeed doing the you call the shot and there's a uh there's a lot of value in that, a lot of, lot of learning. It's kind of like the storytelling I uh, was talking about earlier. Hundredth episode, my gosh. We've done this weekly now, and the hundredth episode, that means a little, right at two years. To start with, we were going to do a podcast. Um, Ken Milam and I, and they, they, Ken and I worked on it together for about the first, oh, six, eight months, and, and, uh, we decided we were going to try to do it every other week, and then I got to visit with some people a little bit, and I said, why don't you just do it every week? And so I talked to Ken, and Ken said, man, he said, I just really don't have the time to, to devote that much time where I can do it every week. But, uh, you know, he said, if you'd like to continue doing so, he said, I got all this radio stuff, and then Dave's doing a couple other podcasts as well along the same time that we were doing, started this one. He said, why don't you just go ahead and take it over and and uh, I didn't stutter too long or stammer too long to say yes because really kind of where I wanted to go as well when I, when I first started this is to once we get established, let's go to a weekly, let's go to telling stories, let's go t- to visiting a bunch with guys like Corey Mason, who's Corey's a wildlife biologist with tremendous experience in the state of Texas and elsewhere. And, and as now the executive director of the Dallas Safari Club, his experience has extended extremely beyond Texas <laughs> to the world. He's one of those guys who is extremely well-spoken, who has a great sense of, of, of uh, wildlife in terms of habitat, in terms of management, in terms of wildlife conservation. has the ability to communicate with almost anybody on those subjects. And as a result of that, has been very instrumental in getting a lot of different things done through IC, uh, ICUN and and uh, the CITES permit things and, and all those kind of things that, that affect us. In a recent one, we talked a little bit about, you know, black bear. And I say, you know, black bear because black bear are found throughout North America, probably as many bear now as there have been in a long, long time. Maybe not in historic times uh, or prehistoric times, but for the most part, we've had a tremendous resurgence of, of black bear throughout North America, and, and it's one of those animals that's controlled by the CITES permits. Uh, so it's one of those things you say, well, all those things they're doing over there in Africa and elsewhere, you know, doesn't, that doesn't affect me. I don't hunt Africa. Well, I don't hunt this, or I don't hunt with hounds, or I don't hunt with this, or I don't do that. You know, but yes, the fact is we're all in this together, and what happens in Africa right now, particularly with uh, some of the European type countries and the people who are, or maybe anti-hunters more than anything else, and they really don't want the even the the local countries or the the immediate countries where these wildlife animals or wildlife species exist to set up a management program. So hopefully, uh, through the efforts of, of, of DSC and of course there are a lot of other organizations out there as well, really 
top-notch organizations as well. But one of the things that Corey mentioned in a recent podcast is we need to get more organizations involved in these things to where we have a greater voice and we can have more people involved in in helping making decisions and decisions made upon true biological facts rather than hysteria and sustained use of those animals, if you will, and habitat. Uh, we've shown so many different times that uh, when they're in value or some kind of value in terms of hunting on animals, uh, those animals have a way of disappearing because the locals kill them out or the habitat's destroyed or so many different factors come into play, but there's not an economic value there. So it's important that we continue that. It's important that we have guys like Corey Basin and other representatives from the DSC and, and other organizations and guys like Jeff Crane with the Congressional Sportsman's uh, Organization here in, in, in the USA to keep these people informed. And it's so very important that you let your congressman and you let your senator, your state, local, and federal know how you feel about things. Send them a short little thank you note when they do something good if you oppose uh, want them to oppose a bill send them an email send them a phone call but learned really that it recently even with all the technology that we have in terms of getting information or getting a message to somebody that one of the best messages sent still is a is a short note handwritten so it's real it doesn't come from a robot it's not for not the same message over and over again sent to these individuals who make the laws who actually represent us and they need to represent us in terms of uh, how we truly feel about things and not just a small small group but so get messages to those who make the decisions. That's something that we're going to continually try to come back to as we head into the next 100, 200, 300, 400, however many of these we're going to be able to do over the next several years. One of the things about hunting and the outdoors, too, is to be so very important is to, is to have fun. You know, to me, I like to learn everything I can about species, everything I can about the habitat that I'm hunting. I want to learn about the people that hunt them. I want to learn about the culture that's involved around the hunting in a particular area. Uh, all those things to me are, are such so much fun. And they make me a better person. They make me a better hunter. They make me a little bit more understanding of, of what's going on in the real world. If you have the opportunity... Attend the outdoor shows. Uh, there, there's none finer than the VSC convention, whatever we want to call it, every year in January. And uh, you can learn more about that and membership on DSC, as we've said so many times, by going to www.biggame.org. And, you know, those particular, and again, I say you know because we've talked about all this in the past, but that convention, there are people there from all over the world. There's every kind of country represented where there is any substantial wildlife left, uh, organizations, and it's a great place to get to know people. If you've ever thought about hunting someplace or want to know more about someplace, it's a place to go because you can get it firsthand. You can get it from the people's mouths, if you will, that live there, that have experienced those situations that you might be interested in, experience the cultures, experience the hunting that is, is available, not just in your backyard, but, you know, that backyard can extend truly throughout the world. 
Moving into the future, we're going to spend a little bit more time on uh, wildlife management. I've, I've got several guests lined up moving forward about to talk about different species. And one of those that will probably be on there occasionally is, is Brian Finhold, who is the COO of the Mule Deer Foundation. Brian is a absolutely fantastic person to, to know and is so very knowledgeable in terms of mule deer and knows the right people who can answer the mule deer questions. Though mule deer is kind of taking it on the chin a little bit here the last several years due to habitat changes, due to increases in predation, uh, lots of factors working on the mule deer and hopefully through the efforts of the Mule Deer Foundation and, and other organizations as well, that animal can be at least maintained and hopefully not necessarily reintroduced because almost everywhere where there are mule deer now, there were mule deer in the past kind of thing, but we need to perpetuate that mule deer herd in terms of improving the habitat, improving a lot of things that they have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Mule deer have a tendency to be migratory outside of some of the desert mule deer subspecies, so we need to maintain corridors so they can go from the high country in the, in the spring and summer and early fall to the low country where there's food available. Uh, mig migration is, is a, a mystery in a lot of ways, but in other ways it's not. And the animals simply migrate and go to the areas where there's food. When that food plays out, then they go back into the areas where they started from, kind of like some of those mule deer in, in uh, western Wyoming. They may travel 75 to 100 miles. Some of them may only travel two or three miles to where to go from high country to the low country, but there is movement, and what's happened in a lot of those areas is we have highways, major highways. Well, thanks to efforts of the Mule Deer Foundation and monies provided through a lot of different individuals and people and, and organizations, such as our DSC Foundation, which is a granting arm of, of DSC, we've been able to uh, provide some funds where they can put some overpasses, underpasses, kind of put a uh, high fence along a certain area to channeling animals to a particular point where they can cross over the highways or under the highways. And that's saving a lot of animals and it's saving some human problems as well too in terms of damage to both humans and to vehicles. So a little bit more of those kind of things. Learn what you can. You know, I really push hard for people to be members of the DSC, of Dallas Safari Club. And we've got several different levels of membership. And we've had guys like Carson Keyes, who handles the chapters, and Nate Watson, both young men. Nate handles the, the uh, membership side of things. But those guys are great sources, and they're going to be around for a long time when it comes to DSC, when it comes to having to do anything with wildlife. They are so totally ingrained in understanding conservation. They, too, can be great, great sources. One of the things I, too, want to do as we move forward a little bit uh, in the next episodes, I've got some absolutely fantastic hunts coming up, and we're going to do some of those, and fishing trips, because I do enjoy fishing, but we're going to do some of those kind of in the in the field at the moment kind of thing, where we're on an elk hunt, and maybe we'll be able to hear the elk bugling in the background through the uh, graciousness of the Mescalera Apache Reservation in southern New Mexico. We have an elk hunt coming up that we sold at the DSC Foundation Gala in uh, earlier in July. And I'm going to be hosting that hunt. I'm going to be trying while I'm there as well, too, to help this guy that bought it shoot the very biggest elk that we can find there. But 
I'm going to be there long enough, too, to where I suspect he'll shoot an elk in the first, second, or third day. And while we're there, I'm going to try to be hunting for a big, mature 4x4 four four or 5x5 five five or, you know, a bull that really doesn't have the big antlers whose genetics they hopefully want that animal to pass on to future generations. So we're going to try to set it up where we'll have a cameraman with us the entire time and uh, basically... He is going to be filming for Trijicon's World of Sports and Field. I have essentially turned over my old show, the DSCs, what now it's just called Trailing the Hunter's Moon, that Blake Barnett for years was involved with me on in a lot of different capacities. Gave that show to Blake about two years ago, and Blake's taking it over, and so I'm going to be spending a little bit more time now um, hunting for Trijicon's World of Sports and Field with the Safari Classics. I do a lot with those guys in terms of helping promote DSC and the DSC Foundation and graciously they've decided that they're going to allow me to be filmed for some of the hunts that we have planned this year and that Mescalero Apache Reservation elk hunt is one of them so hopefully we'll have a be mic'd up where you can hear the elk in the background as we slip up close to it and then we'll spend some time interviewing the guys involved in the management out there maybe some time with the hunter who takes the elk that, that uh, we hopefully will be taken or he will be taken and then we'll kind of doing the same thing with pronghorn antelope on the eastern ranch in in uh, central new mexico and and kind of put you there in the moment uh, a gentleman there again bought that hunt and and this one, he and I will both be hunting antelope, so we're going to try to give you that moment-to-moment thing of what's going on. And then some of the mule deer hunts that I've got going on here in Texas and whitetail hunts as well, too. And, you know, and then, too, we're filming some things as well, not just for Trujicon's World of Sports Field, but I do with, deal with a little digital show called uh, Sportsman's Life that I do with... Uh, Jeff Rice and Lou Clayton, both longtime buddies, and that's available on the Pride Outdoor Network as well as on, uh, oh gosh, on YouTube and Facebook, a bunch of places. And so all those we're going to be filming for and having a good time. And so not only you hear me talking about them here on the podcast, talking about the hunts and some of the things we did and accomplished and failed to accomplish, maybe. Uh, but all the time having a good time, you'll also be able to see on TreeCon World of Sports and Field, which is on the Sportsman Channel, and then uh, A Sportsman's Life that is on Pride Outdoor Network through Roku and, and a bunch of other things. So uh, trying to cover as many bases as we can. I'd, I'd write a fair amount of blogs as well, too. I usually do about 16 to 20 blogs a month, and those go to DSC, Trijicon, Hornady, and Carbon TV as well, too. They graciously publish my blogs there as well, and you might be able to see them a few other places, too. So a lot of different ways, and try to coordinate those somewhat as much as I can between this podcast and and then, too, Luke and I do the weekly radio show that I mentioned earlier called Campfire Talk and that we've been doing now for over 13 years. And he and I also do uh, every other week hunting wire radio in which we cover lots of territory and that can be found on huntingwire.com and the facebook and the uh all those kind of sites where you can access that and and uh we're still doing some things for sporting classics as well and in terms of uh, a weekly podcast there and then i do a lot of writing for sporting classics now again as well too in, in articles years ago i wrote a column for sporting classics called um uh, the long hunter 
the long hunter, which means the guy that goes out a long distance and hunts, not the long hunter in terms of shooting long distances, but uh, vision a little bit right now about the possibility of doing another book uh, that might be well entitled The Long Hunter. Uh, you know, and talking about books, I just wrote a forward for Greg Simons. Greg has got a new book coming out about the hunting business, and we'll talk more about that here in the next several episodes about how that came to be and and a, a little bit more about some of the things that you can find in there. But having read the chapters on several of those chapters before I wrote the foreword, I can tell you it's an absolutely fantastic book, whether you're interested in, in the hunting business per se or whether you're simply a, a weekend hunter or a wannabe hunter or somebody doesn't even like hunting but loves wildlife. That book is one that's going to be there for the ages. Greg did an absolutely fantastic job on that. And if I do a hunt, another hunting book, uh, and which will, as I say, likely be titled The Long Hunter, I hope I can do the quality of work that that uh, Greg did in, in the book that he's putting out. One of these days, still want to go back maybe to Africa. I really want to go back to Europe. I, I got to where I really, truly enjoyed hunting Europe over the years that I've been there. I love the tr- traditions involved with hunting in Europe. I love the respect that's paid to the game that's taken to the habitat and to the hunter himself for being a st- good steward of the land and the good steward of the wildlife and, and truly being involved in wildlife conservation, which to me means the wise use of Conserving means you use it properly. It's not a preservation. It uh, you preserve things and they stalemate and they go to heck. <laughs> but if you truly manage through wildlife conservation, where again is the wise use of uh, wildlife habitats and, and wildlife itself of all varieties, from the butterflies that I dearly love watching out on my place to the songbirds to the squirrels, rabbits, all the little things up until the larger big game that, that exists here. And the vegetation itself, sitting here underneath a big live oak tree that's uh, been around probably for about, oh, five, six hundred years, I'm guessing. And right off to the side is a little wild plum tree that's been there since I can remember. And not too far away is a what we call Bordock. A boys de arc, if you want to spell it that way. And, and one of the better deer browsers for the part of Texas I live in, and which is manifest itself. If you look, you can't find a leaf, even though our deer population is not that high. You cannot find a leaf where a deer can reach it. So it tells me they dearly love that. And every time I can pick up one of those horse apples anywhere, I throw it on the back of the pickup and carry it back to my place and dig a little shallow hole and and drop that big seed in there and hopefully you know produce some more bordock plants. What I'm doing with my place, and we'll talk more about it in the future, and we've talked about some in the past, and you've even been able to listen to the raindrops falling on the old camp, the old tin roof here not too very long ago, but really want to bring this property back to what it was a few years ago, a bunch of years ago, in terms when we had an abundance of, of wildlife. We've lost our, our bobwhite quail due to many factors, including pesticides, herbicides, overgrazing, uh, fire ants, predation, all those things that played a role in the, in the re- removal of the uh, bobwhite quail in this area, particularly as, as they started kind of going downhill a little bit in terms of populations, and drought played into that as well, too. So 
lots of factors. I know we're not probably going to be able to bring it back. The country used to have black bear and wild turkeys, and I doubt seriously that we'll have black bears and wild turkeys here as well going into the future, at least not the near future, but in the process of, of managing this property properly with, with grazing on occasion and removing the cattle for a while in certain areas, doing some planting of native species that are good browse species that are fruit and seed producers for all wildlife. Uh, I love watching birds, and as we have started doing our management program here to try to improve the habitat primarily for white-tailed deer, it truly amazes me the, the, the cottontails have come back, the jackrabbits have come back. Birds of all different species that I've not seen out here in years are starting to come back. And, you know, we're doing this under the auspices of trying to improve it for white-tailed deer, but in truth, the fact is we're improving it for all wildlife, and as a result, the habitat has improved tremendously. And Believe me, that's what makes the difference. If you got good habitat and all these other animals, as long as you can get a little bit of help out of your neighbors, and I'm fortunate here that I lease some of the adjoining property, and some of the adjoining property, too, belongs to my brother, and he, too, is very much into wildlife, although he's more of a cattleman than he is, a, is a, on the biologist side, but he understands because he loves to hunt and he loves wildlife the importance of, of proper grazing in, in certain times. So... You know, we're going to try to improve this, and we're talking about some of the things that you can do on your little piece of property, whether it's a monstrous ranch or whether it's just a backyard, because if, if you have a place where you can glow, grow a plant, be it a flower, be it a fruit, be it whatever, you know, you can contribute to wildlife, the perpetuation of wildlife as well by providing that little maybe six-inch square of two or three flowers that bees and, and um other pollinators like or you know if you got a backyard and they're deer and they're eating some of the plants that you plant well guess what the deer were there first and and you know you can learn how to keep them out of there at certain times by putting up a little old fence kind of a little exposure maybe electrical fence and maybe even applying some some elements if you will not so much chemicals to to discourage them from eating them but all those things are, are part of what we've kind of talked about in the, the past 100 episodes and, and um, kind of talking about where we're going to go in the, in the next 100, like I said, maybe 200, maybe 300. One of the things that I would ask you to do is our podcast is available through all kinds of places. You can go to it directly at www.waypoint, that's W-A-Y-P-O-I-N-T-T-V, so it's W-A-Y-P-O-I-N-T-T-V.com slash DSCS dash campfires. And that'll get you to see all 100 or most of the 100 episodes that we've done and give us a chance to kind of go back and, and if you want to review some of the things that we've talked about. And if you haven't heard them, maybe you want to go back and, and listen to them. There's, there's a lot of information in there. Uh, some of it's a, a, just campfire tales sitting around the fire. Some of it's uh, providing a tremendous amount of, of, of data, if you will, that you can utilize in a lot of different ways to improve wildlife or to, to improve your outdoor experience. And, again, that's kind of where we want to head in the future. So you can go to waypointtv.com. It's also available at, at uh, pursuituptv.com and uh under the podcast and we're probably going to be having a few more places but it's available pretty much anywhere where you can access the podcast now if you'd like to get a message to me personally and really hope that you do because i'd love to hear what you think about the podcast and 
And uh, don't forget, on the, the Monday after this is aired, we will be drawing a for one of the knives that's made out of a, uh, a knife kind of my design, in a limited edition, if you will, because the fact it does have my signature on the blade, and also the scales are made from an Australian buffalo that I shot a few years ago, and, and we're going to give one of those away to based on a drawing of anyone who submits a comment about this podcast or about DSC's Campfires with Larry Weissin podcast, and they can do that by going uh, to my Instagram site, which is Larry Weissin Outdoors. That's L-A-R-R-Y-W-E-I-S-H-U-H-N-O-U-T-D-O-O-R-S. And you can leave a message there. And if you're not on Instagram, you can also go to Larry Wysoon Outdoors on Facebook and leave a message. And, and uh, oh, about the time this thing is finished airing, we're going to be drawing, as I said, right after, I think it's July the 5th, we're going to be drawing a, a, a knife for whoever wins that knife. And I'll probably try to send some notes to those people who also... Uh, maybe uh did not win and and we'll figure out something else that we can do down the way maybe keep your names in a pot for another knife that we'll give away or maybe some hunting gloves or who knows what we might be doing along those lines in the future but what i really want to do this morning before i sign off here is just to remind you to get in touch with me at larry weiss at larry weiss soon outdoors on instagram or Larry Wysoon Outdoors Facebook page and, and uh, kind of let me know what you think about the podcast. But truly, 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 I want to thank each and every one of you who has listened to the podcast and particularly those of you who told others about our podcast. Without you, this podcast doesn't exist, quite frankly. It's, it's, it's words that nobody hears. It's like going into the forest where there's not another human soul around for 100 miles and shouting, help me. And chances of somebody coming to help you in that situation don't exist. Well, at this point, what I really would like for you to do, if you don't mind, is to just continually tell other people about our podcast and direct them where they can get it. At, uh, <clears throat> it's available almost anywhere where you can find podcasts. And particularly, you can go back and get past episodes and listen to the current episode. As I said, at wayptointv.com and then the slash with uh, DSCS-Campfires. And uh, tell them to go right there or to pursuit uptv.com, either one as well. And uh, hopefully uh, they'll find something there that kind of trips or trigger a little bit and maybe we can provide a little information. But again, too, I really want to hear from y'all out there to let me know what you want to hear about or what you don't want to hear about uh without knowing that for sure i don't know sometimes the directions to head but again thank you each and every one of you for helping me get to this 100th episode again without you it couldn't have possibly happened thank you very much we'll be back right here next week maybe underneath the same old tree where i'm sitting this morning and uh telling a few campfire stories and so please join me right back here next week on dsc's campfires with larry weissin thank y'all thanks for joining us around the campfire to leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode go to instagram at larry weissin outdoors please join me right here next week for another dsc's campfires DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today.
Texas-raised hunting products, the scent gods, can attract boots for the trails less traveled. Voigt, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air for all things air gun. And Ripcord Rescue Travel Protection. 